Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. Our program today is coming to you from a very different, special place, which means it might sound a little bit different to you, sort of the ambiance, the background sort of sound or sense, as my engineer would say. <clears throat> We're recording from Mundelein University, the same area, the Lake University, which is the seminary location for the Archdiocese of Chicago. It's also a wonderful conference and retreat center. And the clergy from my eparchy, which of course is the word for diocese in the Eastern churches, my eparchy, the clergy from my eparchy, including myself, are on retreat. So I take the opportunity now that I have all my fellow brother priests and deacons and bishop around me to invite some of them on our program today on Light of the East. On our program, many times, if you've listened to Light of the East over the years, if you're just a new listener, I welcome you. And I invite you to encourage others to listen to us to find out about the other lung of the church, the Eastern lung, as John Paul II would call it. The church breathes with both lungs, East and West. However, if you have listened to this program for any amount of time, you know that from time to time, we talk about what is the heart and soul of the Eastern churches and that is its monasticism. We've had a number of very fine speakers on this program, very fine guests who come from the monastic tradition. But there is, in the Eastern tradition, a venerable ancient center for monasticism. One of those places that if you talk about Eastern monasticism at all, a person should know about this. And that place is called Mount Athos, the Holy Mountain. And I've often wanted to meet or talk with a monk who spent time on this incredible, incredible holy mountain called Mount Athos. Well, it just so happens that I have a very good friend in the priesthood. He's one of the priests of our Eparch of Parma right now, but he has spent a number of years in monasticism, in particular on Mount Athos. And we're privileged to have him here today on Light of the East. And I welcome to Light of the East, Father Stephen Muth. Father Stephen, welcome to Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Father Stephen, you are the pastor of, of St. Mary Byzantine Catholic Parish in Whiting, Indiana, correct? Yes. But you weren't always a pastor, though you have some years of being a pastor, but you weren't always a pastor. You were, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, you were a monk on Mount Athos. Tell us about Mount Athos. What was that life like? When did you go there? What was it like? You know, this is an incredible place of mystery. And anyone who's from the Eastern churches, such as myself, we hear about Mount Athos, we're mystified and and, and totally mesmerized by its legendary, legendary status. So tell us what it was like to have actually been a monk there. Well, first of all, a, a good reference for 
the phenomena of Mount Athos would be a, a, a brief television program that aired a couple of years ago on 60 Minutes. Mm. And it, uh, a lot of it was filmed in Mount Athos, specifically at the monastery of Simono Petra. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can't remember for sure, but it seemed to me that that, that program was focused on the prayer of Jesus. Um, and they, they interviewed various monks from mm-hmm. that monastery, a few uh, people from North America that were there as monks, staying there, living there permanently as monks. Uh, I was there. I, I came to Mount Athos in a kind of a, a strange way. I uh, was visiting different eastern centers of monastic life, and uh, I went to visit in England, in Oxford, a, a Professor Zernov, Mm-hmm. at the um, Orthodox chapel in, Ox- in Oxford. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, he gave me some places that I might like to visit. Among them were Jerusalem. and mm-hmm. uh, um, But I also went to Greece. And how I arranged that was he put me into contact with a, uh, a man by the name of Anthony Comantos, who was a novice of Simona Petra. Mm-hmm of the monastery of Simona Petra in Mount Athos. And he was out of the monastery at that time studying in London. And I met him, and he was taking a trip back to Mount Athos that summer and from London. And accompanying him was uh, Reverend Canon Donald Alchin of Canterbury Cathedral. He was a canon of that cathedral. And uh, we agreed to meet in uh, Oxford. And um, Canon Alchin was the... um, warden or superior from the Anglican Church for a group of nuns in Fairacres, which is just outside of Oxford. And uh, uh, he was there, and I met him there, and they were in in the middle of a chapter, their monastic house, of this Mm -hmm. Anglican monastic house. And Father was detained, and he handed me over to a young student, doctoral student that he was directing by the name of um, uh, Rowan Williams, Mm -hmm. who is now the Archbishop of Canterbury. (laughs) And uh, we all met, and, and along with Anthony Comantos, and we arranged for this trip to Greece. And we, we got on to Mount Athos, uh, and we were also told by Anthony that he would be uh, tonsured a monk while we were there. Mm. He would be no longer a novice, but he'd make his monastic uh, uh, profession uh, and be tonsured and clothed in the habit of a monk. Well, we were there for that event and to look around the Holy Mountain to experience it, and the war in Cyprus began, Mm -hmm. and we were stranded there. Hmm. Uh, We were only to be there for a week or so, but we ended up being there a lot longer because it was difficult to get off the peninsula called the Holy Mountain. And so that's how I came to know this particular monastery and its wonderful uh, spiritual father, Emilianos, Father Emilianos, Archimandrite, Egumen, that is abbot of this monastery, and um, and the very wonderful community that was there at the time. Mm-hmm. Father, how old were you when you first started to think about monasticism? Oh, I was. Um, I started to think about monasticism in the Latin Church probably when I was about fourteen. So originally, you were you were you were raised Latin right, right, yeah. right. And then you you had this kind of sense or call or curiosity about monasticism. Yes. And then you came across, of course, eventually to, to Mount Athos. Mm-hmm. So you entered into Eastern monasticism. I, I entered first into Western monasticism. Oh, what is it? Okay. Yeah, I was formed, I had some formation as in, in a Benedictine abbey. I oh, was okay. postulant and in formation there. 
and then left that. Where is Mount Athos? Mount Athos is in northern Greece in a place called Alkidiki, which are one of the three peninsulas uh, in the northern part of Greece. And is it, uh, I understand it's it's difficult to access. It's not, it's not really accessible. It's yes. like, almost like a big cliff or something. Yeah, it's not it? an island, but it's a peninsula, and mm-hmm. it's difficult to get in from the land side. Mm. And uh, I suppose a few people have done it, but the usual way is that you uh, get a, a, a bus from wherever you're coming from to a little place called Uranopolis, which means heavenly city. Mm-hmm. And you get a, a small boat from there that goes around the peninsula on both sides. Mm. And you get off at whichever monastery that you're visiting. But you first always have to go to a place called Caries, mm-hmm. which um, uh, is at the port of Daphne mm. on the peninsula. That's where you all em- disembark from the the boat and take a bus up to a little little town called Caries, which is only a town of monks. Mm-hmm. It has only monks and a few... Um, delegatory policemen that live mm-hmm. there. Now, uh, now, is it true? I had heard that um, they don't allow women on the Holy Mountain. No, they don't allow women or domesticated animals. <laughs> and why is that? Historically, they say that it's uh, because when uh, the Theotokos visited there, mm-hmm. the Theotokos was on her way to visit Lazarus, who had been raised by the Lord from the dead, who had been made a bishop in Cyprus. Mm. Uh, and they got blown off course, and they ended up, she ended up uh, the shipwrecked on the tip of the holy mountain. And she stepped off the boat, and the tradition says she was with St. John uh, the Evangelist, and uh, they stepped off the boat, and there was a huge earthquake, and all the pagan temples on the holy mountain uh, collapsed. Mm-hmm. And that she declared that the holy mountain would be the garden, her garden, from thence on. And so in deference to her, no other uh, form of female life, domesticated female life, could go there or be there. That's a very ancient story then, huh? Yes. So Father Stephen, on this mound where there are, there are monasteries, monastic, are there, is it all one particular monastery? Is it one nationality? What is it like up there? I, I think it's about, I'm, it's been a while since I was there, but uh, it's about 20 monasteries that were erected under the emperors of Byzantium. Hmm. Could be mo- little more than 20. Mm-hmm. And then dependencies on those monasteries called metochia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, other forms of monastic life. There are hermits who live in hermitages. Mm-hmm. And uh, skeets, uh, small monasteries with variant n- small number of monks mm-hmm. and a spiritual father. Uh, there are, until recently, I mean, uh, I, recently in the last 30 years, um, when I was there, there were houses that were called idiorhythmic mm-hmm. from the Greek, uh, your own rhythm huh, mm-hmm. of monastic life. And uh, they were founded uh, by during the Turkish time, um, uh, the different ages of Turkish occupation, because the Turks didn't allow the monasteries that were cenobitic or communal monasteries mm-hmm. to receive novices. And so people went with the spiritual father and into a certain place where that was already there and mm-hmm. uh, set up a, a loose community. And so it wasn't all one monastery or one building. There were many, at least 20-some. They all speak the same language? No, they were uh, different ethnic backgrounds. The majority were Greek. There was um, a, a large Russian foundation. 
uh, Serbian foundation, which used to be idiorhythmic but has become synabitic since, I'm told. And and you spoke, which one did you stay with? What did they I stayed speak? in a Greek monastery. Oh, so you had to... Simono Petra. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so you had to learn Greek. Oh. Well, so I did, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Not very well, probably. <laughs> well, when we return, we're going to talk more about this great holy mountain, part of the great legend and the tradition of monasticism in the Eastern churches with our very special guest, a former monk of Mount Athos, Father Stephen Muth. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And now, words of wisdom, faith, and mystery from the monk's cell. There is among the passions, says St. Isaiah the Solitary, an anger of the intellect, and this anger is in accordance with nature. Without anger, St. Isaiah says, a man cannot attain purity. He has to feel angry with all that is sown in him by the enemy. When Job felt this anger, he reviled his enemies. St. Isaiah is saying that the ability to get angry is God's gift to us. It can help keep us safe from evil. Where there is evil and injustice, there we may legitimately, even profitably, bring our anger. But here's the rub. The mere presence of evil is not the only warrant for anger. Be angry, but do not sin, says the psalmist. Anger may rightly be used in the presence of evil, but only to root out and eradicate that evil. St. Isaiah the Solitary concludes his saying on anger by writing this. Quote, he who wishes to acquire the anger that is in accordance with nature must uproot all self-will. End of quote. Today, there's a lot of anger. But I wonder how much of it really flares forth to burn up evil and how much is simply the garish, neon-lit sign pointing to a wounded ego. How interesting that in a culture that decries the making of absolute claims about good and evil, the accusation that's wrong has been ruled out of order. But the self-righteous that offends me is the acme, or is it the nadir of argument? Righteous anger is always concerned about the other. It is based on the presence of true evil and the negation of the love of God and his will. For this reason, real anger is safely invoked only by the pure of heart, who alone, seeing God, see clearly. I'm Father Maximus Hokirios. The Monks of Holy Resurrection Monastery can be found at hrmonline.org.
Glory to Jesus Christ. My name is Deacon Michael Lee, and I would like to personally invite you to come and receive life. I am Father Thomas Loya, inviting you to discover life, unwrap, and explore John's gospel as a profound preparation for the nativity of Christ. Jesus, the good shepherd in the gospel of St. John, says that he came to bring us life and that we might have that life abundantly. And while we're unwrapping John's gospel, we'll examine the themes of incarnation, personhood, the most holy trinity, faith, the holy mysteries, and our call to holiness to name a few. Find out for yourself. Join us Tuesday evenings beginning at 6.30 p.m. Eastern during the Phillips Fast, November 20th through December 18th at the Byzantine Catholic Cultural Center located at 2420 West 14th Street in Cleveland's historic Tremont neighborhood. Can't make it to the center? Watch the live streaming video online and email your questions or comments to be part of the conversation. Visit bizcathculturalcenter.org for complete details. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host. And again, we're recording this program from a special place in Mundelein, Illinois, which is the center for the Archdiocese Seminary for Chicago, the Archdiocese Chicago Seminary, a conference center retreat center. And I'm here with my brother priests, my bishop and deacons on a retreat. And our special guest today is Father Stephen Muth, who proud to say is one of our priests who had experience in the great, great legendary center of monasticism of the Eastern Churches, Mount Athos. We're talking about his experience there and about Eastern monasticism. So, Father Stephen, you started out with a Western formation monasticism, but then you eventually came to the Eastern monasticism. So what was Eastern monasticism like? Well, when I first went to the Holy Mountain, it seemed so free mm. <laughs> compared to a, mon- a monastic house in, in the West. Mm-hmm. Because I think the emphasis in, in the East was the spiritual father mm. of a monastic community. Ideally, and usually he would have been the abbot, but mm-hmm. not in every case. Um, and so that instead of being rule-centered, there were the rules, the greater and lesser rules of St. Basil the Great. Mm-hmm. There were the typical from various monastic experiences and in history, and uh, they were present uh, in the um, in the long um history of monastic life for monks to read and to study and to imitate. Mm -hmm. But all of that was in some sense um, personified in what was called the the pneumaticos patir, the spirit-filled father. Mm. And so one simply went, and uh, and that doesn't mean there wasn't structure in the monastery. There was a lot. Mm. But everything was seemed to be freer because the ultimate thing wasn't to imitate the rule mm-hmm. exactly, but to imitate a live person mm. exactly. Mm. Oh, the spiritual father. Yes. Or the in the sort of the Slavic term, the stadet, right? Kind of a stadet, yes. mm-hmm. the wise man, the wise holy man. Which a monasticism in East especially is famous for them, as you mentioned, Saint Anthony, Saint Pacomius, and many of them, Macarius, now, Basil. Mm-hmm. Yes, Basil. And what now? What what was a day? in the life of monasticism, Mount Athos, for you? What was it like? Well, it depended on the season and on the particular monastery. But, oh, uh-huh. um, you 
came and you found this spiritual father, you were led mm. to the spiritual father by God, and um, and uh, it was a contract, kind of an, a spiritual contract, that mm. you submitted yourself to his judgment and his analysis of your spiritual life, your mm-hmm. heart. You, you confessed to him your heart, you opened your heart mm. and your conscience and your mind, and then everything came out of that encounter. Mm. And it was an agreement that you would submit an obedience to him but it was an obedience that tried to help you become free. Mm-hmm. And did you have, of course, you had a regimen of the day. You, you, you rose early for prayer? Yes, well, we, we had a, a, a prayer rule each one of us mm-hmm. was given, which consisted of prostrations and uh, invocations of the name of Jesus mm-hmm. and the, the prayer of Jesus and um, prayer of the heart, it's mm-hmm. also called. And that was done in the privacy of the cell. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one would go to uh, begin the midnight service. I think that was usually most of the time prayed in the narthex. Mm. And then when uh, that was finished, uh, uh, right on to matins. Mm-hmm. And matins was quite long, usually. And, yes. uh, um, and then depending on the day of the week and mm-hmm. the season of the year and a particular feasts, uh, one would uh, then go into the first uh, hour of the hours and then uh, to the divine liturgy. Mm. Now, when I was there, the divine liturgy was usually celebrated as a community mm-hmm. on um, the liturgical days, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Mm. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it might be celebrated, but in a small chapel someplace mm. in the monastery. Mm-hmm. wouldn't be in the Catholicon. Did they have, oftentimes I hear about these monasteries where it's continually a prayer, continual prayer, in other words, through the night, through the day, where they actually literally have shifts. Did they have anything no, like not, that? Not in, not in this monastery. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware of any place in Athos they did like perpetual psalmody or anything oh, like that. Uh-huh. Those do exist, mm. but not in the Holy Mountain that I know of. Do they exist in the West as well, Western Masses, or just in Eastern? Uh, no, I think they did in history in, mm-hmm. in the West and places. And yeah. did how about uh, your diet? Did you Were they vegetarians? Uh, yeah, so, well, not strict vegetarians, but um, there was never any meat. Mm. And why was I, that? Well, there's several <laughs> traditions about it. One is simply that uh, if you ate warm-blooded mammals, mm-hmm. it was going to, uh, or ate things like pepper and uh, spicy things, mm. it would, it would, um, there was a connection between that and the passions. Oh, uh-huh. Okay. See, we are what we eat, right? See, the yeah. monks do that, huh? Yeah. They're the first to say that, maybe, huh? <laughs> and so, um, and then there were also the, the, the devotional reasons for it, that like on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, we wouldn't, we would never eat meat, but we wouldn't have dairy products or cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we'd have only one meal a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were for more devotional reasons uh, to commemorate on a particular day, like on Friday, the mm-hmm. Lord's death, uh, mm-hmm. suffering and death. Father yeah. Stephen, you, as long as I've known you, you still, I think, consider yourself to be still a monk at heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it you love about monasticism? What is it that you would want to convey to anyone listening and to anybody about monasticism, about considering monasticism? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first of all, the, the, the beauty of the services. Mm-hmm. But one can have that in, in many places. Mm-hmm. But to be in a place which is so focused on that uh, in an external way is, is quite beautiful. And the rhythm of it, the changes mm-hmm. in the liturgical season. And, mm-hmm. But uh, that's not the only thing. The other thing is that, you know, um, in every monastic life and every monastic observance, I think there's a desire to create an optimum environment mm-hmm. to live out the fullness of the gospel. 
and um, and to become to have that theosis to which we should all aspire mm-hmm. to have the optimum conditions for achieving it. As John Paul II said in his apostolic letter, Orientale Lumen, from which we get the name of this program, because it means light of the East, he said that monasticism is the reference point for all of the baptized. So a monk really is just someone who's living out the same baptismal promise that every Christian uh, is, makes at baptism, correct? Yes. Well, Father Stephen, I want to thank you for being our special guest here today on Light of the East. And again, Father Stephen Muth is the pastor, a former monk, but always a monk at heart. He is the pastor currently of St. Mary Byzantine Catholic Church in Whiting, Indiana. And it's really worth a visit to come and see his church because it's in, a pos- it's in, a, it's in its own process of theosis, isn't it, Father? Yeah. Its own transformation. It's been completely redone, repainted in the inside in a very, very classic Byzantine form. It's absolutely magnificent. It's worth seeing, especially when it gets completed, although the process is very beautiful, too. That's St. Mary Byzantine Catholic Church in Whiting, Indiana. Thank you, Father Stephen, for being on our program. And thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L dash C-O-O-K road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 